try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Photonic Reversal. Photonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with Conan Neutron and Josh Davis. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and make it. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's Science thing, right? It is. It's a science thing. It's a science place. Here we are once again, the home of the one and only photonic reversal. Hello, Josh. Oh, hi, Conan. The on air light is ignited. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. And so are your imaginations. I don't have a sound effect for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, know. I don't know what that would be. Here, we'll right. just go. Yeah! Right, thanks. Sure. That's, yeah. Just generalized, generalized cheering. What? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, so uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? Oh, well, it's, it's been a minute. How long? How long has it been? I don't know. Reminder, sir, you are under oath. <laughs> I, I, I didn't keep uh, accurate records. I didn't uh, put down on my calendar. It's been a while. <laughs> for, yeah. many, for many years ago. Yeah. No, it's been a little bit. Yeah. A few things happen. Uh, it seems like a bunch of stuff's happened. Yeah. You got sick, then I got sick, or then I got sick, then you got sick. And we weren't talking about down with the sickness either. No. We were talking about actual Not like sick, Ill. but like... Uh, Not like licensed to ill, like, but... Like you would have had even less of a fun time listening to our voices. <laughs> yeah, it was just gross. It it's was, like, it's yeah. enough. We get it. Yeah. And then, you know, holidays happen and things happen and we're getting busy doing stuff, planning things. Yeah, there were some... Uh, we played some shows. Played some shows. Both of us ind- <laughs> independently as well as together. Yes. Separately and as a group. Yes. Um... We were certainly a team of mavericks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, after all. Uh, yeah. We even we even played, the, in the we in this case, being Conan and the Secret Friends, played the song that is the theme song to the show, which I sometimes forget is anything other than the theme song to the show. Oh, where'd you play that? Uh, I guess we didn't play the show with you. We played the show the day before we played with you. Yeah, okay. We played it in uh, uh, Kenosha. Uh, Kenosha, yeah. yeah. Well, we were going to, but I, I, we were going to play to that uh, the show we played to. We decided to cut it. Things got wonky. Yeah, I was like less songs, <laughs> less songs, less talk, more rock. Cool. There's definitely less talk. Yeah, um, fascinating. Anyway, so we played in <laughs> a, uh, a UFO encounter. Uh, yeah, location. None of us had ever been to Wausau, Wisconsin. Yeah, and we'd never played there, and uh, well, we rectified that. <laughs> now we have. We've definitely played there. <laughs> Thank you, Wasa. We will take your money and we will walk away and leave everyone equally baffled. You know, we made mutually sure bafflement. We made a fan or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was two. fine. It was fine. <laughs> but we had, yeah, a, we no, had a good. No, he's not exaggerating. Was, no, like, like two. <laughs> but we had a good time and uh, sold, sold a thing or two. Yeah, some rock and roll was played. That's all you need. That's all you need these days. Uh, I think you alive. I think I've uh, put out a. Protons and electrons or two since last yeah <laughs> probably I don't even freaking remember. Jeez, well the new the new <laughs> the newest one is just out. 
Yes, very new. Uh, God Eaters uh, is on the other side. That's Armies of the Mind. That's um, seven, number seven. Right. And that is, I don't think it's been available at a show yet that I can go. No. Okay. But Petulant Messiah has been, but we didn't do anything about it. So the actual record release for that show is going to be on the 15th at the Cactus Club. There you go. With Nonagon. Who's on one of these? Who is on Adam 4. And we never had a prop one for that either. So it's a dual, do, two, 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 two. Record releases in one. Well, wait. And, and then it's the record release for. So the uh, rally. The, so the one you Not recorded. the Godators. Uh, not the God Eaters, though. We haven't done one day. It's, it's, okay. It's, it's, t- two is enough. I can't fucking keep them straight, dude. Nobody, yeah, nobody can. <laughs> Brother, I can barely keep ah, them straight. Jesus, it's your thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad news. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. The oh. world is overwhelming as well. I know. So there, there's, there, there's that going on. But uh, yeah, the point of fact is, Milwaukee folks, there's one more Secret Friend show till like, I don't know, May or, uh, March or something like that. Yeah. Uh, locally, yeah. Right. So, come to that one. Unless you go to Thunder Show, I guess. Well, yeah. Well, that's not local. But that's not very local at all. <laughs> there's uh, one more. I mean, there's, well, I guess I don't know past that. There's one more Hi-Fi show this year. Local. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a uh, Tiger Knight and... Tiger Knight, Foulmouth, Haunted Heads. Haunted Heads are playing that, too. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, us chumps. Uh, <laughs> just These guys. To, yeah, just wanting to... Celebrate the uh, the equinox. <laughs> yes, and uh, celebrate, celebrate. Play some tunes, cause why not? Yeah, we haven't. Uh, I'm, I'm excited that this record you recorded seems to be inching towards completion. Oh it's, yeah, it's getting there, slowly good. but surely. It will be very funny if I record and release yet another record, but before it's out, I. <laughs> I was gonna say I doubt it, but eh, I don't Recording know. Recording in January, dude. Uh, well. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got faith in you. I got faith in you. Anyway, that's that's the least compelling stage banter. Or it's not stage banter if you're on the radio. It's not the least compelling it's radio just, banter. We're just catching up, man. That's cool. Yeah, it's more just live catch up. I like I freely I freely admitted that I was incredibly jet lagged, and I yep. stand by my statement <laughs> because it's not a statement so much as just a, a fact. It, it's just life. And yeah, so I got that going for me. That's nice, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Anything interesting in the world at all? No, Anything I don't think so. I don't think no, so. nothing that interesting. All right, good to see everybody. I, I, uh, I oh, I went through a bunch of Learning Curve Records mm. vinyl that I have that I hadn't really got a chance to listen to. Nice. Rock some bass stuff. I'm actually rocking the sweatshirt right now. Tonight's episode brought to you by Learning Curve Records. Why not? <laughs> It's very they warm. They don't know it, but why not? Uh, yeah, they're uh, you know good label. Yeah, good yeah. label. They do they do good stuff. Oh yeah, warms good label warm sweatshirts. <laughs> Rons, you can use that slogan if you like. like that's not the Conan. Good label. Conan Neutron warm shirts. Yeah, well, our sweat- good yeah. label warm shirts. <laughs> our uh, <laughs> our sweatshirts are very light. Actually, they're very yeah. <laughs> they're they're good for light wear, but not not a good winter sweatshirt. I would say we would. Conan Neutron, the Secret Friends, would suggest a heavier jacket for that. For that, true. But they look good for traveling. They do. Yes. I, I, lately, I've been seeing Rose rocking hers. Yes. A lot of oh, go around. Yes. That's that's true. Friend of the show. That happened, dude. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was a nice. That was that was one of the many ex- explain this to your twenty year old self. Oh yeah. Sort of <laughs> things that happened. <laughs> I'll just say with alarming regularity in this life. Yeah. But yeah, that was yeah. neat to see. Also, it would be like, what's Facebook? 
What's a cell phone? Okay. How much music can you fit on that thing? <laughs> Who's president? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Guy from fucking Home Alone 2? Are you what? serious? No. <laughs> is this like a like a dark earth? <laughs> well, yeah. And the answer to that, yes. Uh-huh. Yes, it is. <sighs> uh, anyway, got Bob Burt from Sonic Youth. Yeah. And, uh, Pussy Glore and John Spencer and the Hitmakers. I wonder if he ever gets bummed out. Lydia Lynch, Retrovirus. Yes. I wonder if he ever gets bummed out that like I think to note him as Sonic Youth first because that's the first band I heard of that he, first band that I heard that mm-hmm. he was in like, mm-hmm. se- sequentially. Well, I guess it was Pussy Galore for me. No, I think. About yeah, I it. didn't find. I didn't. I was not cool enough to know who Pussy Galore was until I, I worked at a record store. I just didn't stumble into Bad Mood until like way late, <laughs> which was weird. Okay, it took me a while to get to that one, and I don't know why. Um, but I think. I mean, it's. It's 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 one of, it's the thing I guess that he's done that has kind of echoed maybe the loudest throughout the I mean it's it's a long echo. It has. And a good and a good one at that. Yeah. Um let's ask him all about it when we have him on. Let's uh before hey, sure. that, let's hear uh <laughs> let's hear oh let's not hear this Uh-oh. right now. Actually let's uh, I was gonna play something off the new John Spencer, but it may may take me longer oh. than, than I thought. Uh, didn't we what did we have we had Sam on recently. Yeah, Sam was the last show uh that I was on. That's right, because I had Steve Albini on without you. Yes. No no offense. Oh, no problem. <laughs> anyway, here's Do the Trash Can. John Spencer and the Hitmakers. Coming at you. Radio News. Protonic, Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal.
Hello, Bob Burt. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Your uh, your, your past self from uh, another lifetime is uh, ch- is uh, chiming out in the background here. Let me turn that off. That was, <laughs> of course, that was a. <laughs> That was uh, Sonic Youth with Brave Men Run, and before that oh. we had Do the Trash Can, John Spencer and the Hitmakers, and I'd like you also to uh, introdu- introduce my, my co-host here, uh, Josh Davis. Hey, Bob. Good to talk to you. Uh, welcome Hi, to the show. Guys. Thanks thanks for uh, Thank bearing with us. Oh, hold on, hold on. Here we go. There we go. Now, we're, now it's official. Now it's official. All right. Crowd going wild. <laughs> you, sir, have been a busy, busy man. Yeah. You just got back from Europe with the John Spencer and the Hitmakers tour with the Melvins and then yes. a leg on your own. Uh, there was some retrovirus yeah. stuff that, that happened. Uh, so, with, yeah. With, with so, the, yeah. I, I, I had uh, one week in between the two tours. Whew. That's uh, you're keeping pretty busy <laughs> there, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say they weren't yeah, short. T- we're yeah. not talking about weekenders. We aren't talking about going and baffling <laughs> Wausau, Wisconsin, like we yeah. were before the no. before you came on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's 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 a lot of rock and roll work. And is that something that, like, if you th- think back to like when you first started playing? Uh, I mean, again, as I was mentioning to earlier, like, you know, there's a lot of things that would be very baffling to an, an earlier Kona Neutron, including like, wait, who's the president? But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, would you ever imagine that you would be still at it, uh, you know, as a sort of elder statesman of weirdo rock, for lack of a better term? No, I would have never imagined it at all. In fact, you know, it still blows my mind that, you know, people are still talking about Sonic Youth. I would have never imagined that in 1982. But, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I'm like, in my 60s and I'm playing playing and touring more than I ever have and uh and you know I, I'm not I can't complain it's good you know because I've uh working with Lydia for the last six years has been amazing and now you know playing with John is is uh, a blast from the past and uh you know it's, it's nice to be touring in something that's you know already successful <laughs> <laughs> yeah that must be nice uh, no and, and it was amazing because and i think i probably told this story on the air about when i first saw you and john spencer and the Hitmakers. makers uh, was at the high noon it was like one of the one of the first shows i was you know sitting there waiting for my my friend to be available so we go hang out and uh kind of looked over i'm like huh it's an interesting drum set ah someone really likes bob burt and I was like, "Oh shit! It is Bob Burt." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and where and where was that? Chicago. That was at uh, Madison. That was uh, the Hiding oh, Saloon, okay. yeah. which I love that place. And then, okay. the, then I was like, "Oh wait, Bob's playing with John. Neat. That's awesome." Yeah, yeah. I didn't play on the record, and uh, you know, John. All of a sudden, John started showing up at shows of mine and stuff. I'm like, "What's he up to?" You know, and then. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then he, you know, and then he sent me the new record, and I, then I loved it, and he asked me to do it. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of strange hitting all that crap again. So, and that's interesting too, because we did have we did have Sam uh, from Hitmakers on just recently as well, and that's something where yeah, so M Sword's playing the, I guess you call it regular drum set, and then you have your yeah. crazy boutiqued out junk percussion, uh, right. Bob Burt style unlike, set. Unlike, unlike Pussy Galore, this is like a you know a full metal kit, and and for most you know I'm I'm playing either with two hammers or two rods or a hammer and a rod, 
whereas in Pussy Galore, it was, you know, half metal and half drums. So I had a metal rod in one hand and a drumstick in the other. So, and that's, it's, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something where, you know, you can't, you can't just go to Guitar Center to go pick up another <laughs> gas tank or, what, or whatever. I don't know. I don't even know what it is you're banging on. The oil cans? Like, what What are these things? Yeah, no, it's a gas tank on top of a bass drum, oh. which has a metal spring. And then on the side uh, for this band, I have a upside-down trash can or um, with a, I don't know if it's a brake pad, but one of these big metal discs on top of that. Awesome. And then the snare drum, and the snare drum is a a couple of metal plates, you know, together with a bunch of stuff on top of it for extra rattle. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And I have to say that after this last John Spencer tour, that uh, even with my custom made earplugs, my ears are still ringing like a mother. Yeah, it's, I was gonna say it's got to be loud, right? I mean, goddamn, that's yeah, uh, it's it's penetrating, you know. Well, and so, I mean, do you fly with that stuff? Like, you went over to Europe. Do you just, like, get all new junk when you, like... Yeah, no, this time around, in the Pussy Galore days, yeah, we had we had a go place. We, you know, just went over to wherever we were going and spent the first day in a junkyard and putting it all together. <laughs> this, this time, John had someone awesome. sort of put the hit together, but then uh, he did a terrible job so right after we you know we played the night we arrived and i held and, and i you know at that gig i had this like metal box on top of the bass drum and this really crappy spring that was hard to hit and, and so the next day we found out where an actual junkyard is and we we went there and then we uh got the kit more together and then luckily our tour manager her boyfriend's father was able to cut us some good metal plates for the snare thing so mm-hmm. You know, it took it took a day or two, but we uh, we got the kit together and it actually made it through the whole tour. But if you look at photos of the base at the uh, gas tank at the end, it's like a, you know, pretty it's totally caved in. Yeah, it's pretty. It's uh, I think it's going back to the graveyard. <laughs> so, like when you <laughs> when you roll up to kind of acquire new junk materials, are they just looking at you like you're from Mars? It's like, oh, what are these guys up to? Like, what what, what are you looking for? Yeah, you know. <laughs> like, how do you explain it's that? Little, it's weird, because, you know, John is extremely meticulous of every single detail of every single thing. And so, you know, he's got the whole stage plot, so it's just basically you know, we go in there, and you know, man, nah, you know, we haven't had that many weird, weird reactions. I mean, I think the audience is really digging it even even the people because you know there are there are people that are familiar with pussy galore and who i am but for the most part especially when we're touring with the melvins in the midwest is basically after every show dude what were you banging up there man that was awesome oh what kind of car is it from oh what brand of hammers do you use you know that's uh Oh, Get a lot man. of that crap. What brand of hammers <laughs> do you use? That's amazing. <laughs> well, so I mean, God, the gear bro thing would get to that. Can you? Can, I guess you could potentially get an endorsement, right? I mean, yeah. that's got to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish. <laughs> like, what would that? I, like, I, I would take. Even... I would take any endorsement from anybody. I, I <laughs> fantasize about that. You know. I'm trying to even think of what a hammer company brand is right now. I mean, I know I've got like three or four. But oh, yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I know that um, 
I wanted to use smaller hammers, so I found these like what I thought were good hammers at like Rite Aid, and then we were sound checking the very first show in Europe. And I brought them over, and uh, you know, halfway through the sound check, the head flew off of one of them. Oh, so, like, yeah, that's so we had to dangerous. <laughs> yeah, they were really cheapy, so we had to send someone out to a hardware store to get some real hammers. I'm telling you, man, you need like a like a endorsement from like Orchard Supply or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, Home Depot. <laughs> Home Depot, exactly. <laughs> um, so, pl- pl- what does playing that kit do to your hands? I, I I wear gloves, so it doesn't do anything. Okay, and I'm not like you know, in Pussy Galore, I did you know drums and and metal at once so it was full steam ahead through every right, song right. And, yeah. and you know blah 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 and john doesn't like you know he doesn't like tell stories in between songs it's like rapid fire yeah and so that was you know i mean of course i was like 30 years younger but that was really wearing and tearing but this with this band i'm pretty much you know um whatchamacallit kind of like uh just adding adding stuff and and uh accents you know accents yeah and uh things like that you know huh. i can't think of the word that i usually use uh, <laughs> embellishing or whatever oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well and, and cuz yeah as mentioned there is m sword playing the sort of more traditional drum kit and then Sam Combs is, is playing uh, the sort of bass keyboard and, and keyboard stuff and does the occasional backing vocal John on guitar and vocals and then you're doing the auxiliary percussion Stuff. Right, but uh, you weren't. You didn't know the songs. Uh, I didn't know the songs, and, and and believe me, what the way we're playing now compared to pro- what you probably saw. I'm not sure how far into our tour Madison was. But it was like, like the second show. You know, it, it, yeah. Oh, was it the second show? I, yeah. According to Sam, it was this. It was the second show. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Uh, John was still giving me shit about not playing anything right at that point. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it was crazy because you know, Sword Sword lives in um, Kalamazoo, right? In Michigan, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and, and and Sam lives in Portland. So the way we started was we drove. Me and John drove for two days out to Kalamazoo, and then we rehearsed in Sword's basement of his house for like 12 hours a day for like two days and then the next day we're in front of like 3,000 people in Minneapolis opening for the <laughs> Melvin and it was like it was it didn't work for me I don't I can't work like that I can't I have a bad short-term memory so even like rehearsing for 12 hours like the next day I'd be like oh what's this song you know mm. and uh so it, it, it was rough and, and uh you know it's I'd say it took a good five or six shows before I really could like look at the set list and know exactly what I was doing. But, um, but yeah, at this point we're, uh, you know, hot wired machine. Yeah. I, well, I imagine. Well, point, well oiled machine. Yeah, well, oiled machine yeah. <laughs> well, and then I, I sure I probably said this when Sam was in the air, but for, for me, the interesting thing, well, first of all, just had a neat kind of, nervy sort of energy to it just because it was like wait what's going on what's what's like they're just there wasn't it's very difficult to surprise people in the in the internet age but like i was like oh and like i said the whole like oh this drummer really has got a bob burt fixation you know and then like i was like oh crap it's bob burt (laughs) (laughs) like that was that was a for real thing that i thought and 
I definitely had the epiphany that uh, that you know my, my friend I was standing next to was like, oh yeah, that's uh, do you know Sam? I'm like, uh, I don't know, do I? I'm like, oh wait, that's Sam from Quasi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh wow. It's weird the way that how this this whole band came together, but um, and like I, I I heard that a lot from some other people. They were saying like you know that it came like people that I knew that said like yeah we were standing standing in the crowd and you could hear people like going hey is that Bob Bird yeah. <laughs> you know, what's what the fuck's going on and uh, you know it's because uh, you know unlike uh, so those people don't realize in fact you know we're just go- going places as John Spencer and some people right. are even showing up thinking it's still the blues explosion so because <laughs> that's how how tuned in people are yeah. Well, but it's yeah. it's it's fascinating too because it's almost like kind of a superhero team because everyone's kind of got their own thing in the band, but then when you're like, oh, these guys are all playing together, oh neat. And then you know it was yeah, yeah. it was super cool that you know I ne- I was not cool enough to be into Pussy Galore when when you guys were around. It, it was like oh, there's even some Pussy uh-huh. Galore tunes in here. How neat! That's kind of like final form John Spencer. It's like all like literally yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. songs some from Pussy all Galore stuff. songs, a couple of blues explosions, yeah. songs, and even a heavy trash song. So yeah, and I, I thought that was that was a really neat way for an artist of his stature and that has been around to sort of present it. And like how awesome that it's like an all-star band that's at both immediately familiar, but also has this kind of bizarre element of like weirdness and danger to it that, uh, yeah, yeah. I thought true. was really cool. Oh, good. <laughs> and apparently it got better after that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, you know, we're gearing up, you know, John's pretty much got, 2019 booked up already. Wow. So sure. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah it's it's going to get crazy. So going, going all the way back to when you first started doing the junk percussion stuff, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot of folks, not there's a whole lot of folks doing it now, but there was, certainly wasn't a whole lot of folks doing that necessarily then. Right. Like what, what first gave you the idea to, to do that? Is he just want well, something different? Any, any, anything I do with John is a hundred percent John's concept. And you know, if there's any downside to, doing it it's like you know it's someone's else else's vision so there's not a lot of creativity involved on your part on my part or whatever so when i first okay so i quit sonic youth in 1985 and then i around 1986 i was kind of getting itching to itching to play again so i went to see um einsteins and neubauten at the cat club in new york city and I ran into Kim Th- Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore there, and I just was hanging out with them. And I said, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting itchy to play again." And they said, "Well, this new band just moved to New York from D.C. called Pussy Galore, and they were standing about six feet away." So I went over, <laughs> so I went over and, and, and introduced myself and met them. And they were like, you know, straight out of dropping out of college. I think John was 20, Christina was 19. And uh, Julie was there, and you know they were all kids. I was already like thirty, and uh, and they, you know, and they, you know, showed up in New York, and they had like their hair dyed black and their brand new leather jackets, you know. And uh, so I met them, and then the next day, I live in Hoboken. At the time, I worked at the this record store that was here, Pure Platters, which was a great record store. And I, you know, so the next day I went and I picked up their seven inch called Feel Good About Your Body. And I checked it out. I said, oh, this is really cool. And then about a week later um, or so, I was at CBGB's and John was, I was hanging out front and John was there. 
and they had just put out uh, Groovy Hate Fuck uh, on their own. And John came over and handed me a copy, and I said, oh, you guys looking for a drummer? And, <clears throat> you know, and so, I, you know, I really dug their music. So, you know, they needed a drummer because John Hamill, who was their original drummer, didn't move to New York with them. And uh, and so the first couple of rehearsals I went to, I was playing a regular kit, and we had this other guy banging on metal. And then John one day said to me, like, I'm thinking about combining them both. I was like, oh, cool. So we went to, the, at that time, in Hoboken, there was actually a junkyard here with, like, gas tanks piled to the sky. And and uh, so we we put the kit together and we started playing. I think the first thing we did was uh, record our version of the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, as a response to Sonic Youth bragging in the press that they were going to do a cover of the White Album by the Beatles, right. which I was... <laughs> So I was actually, you know, in both bands. Yeah. <laughs> like Sonic, Sonic Youth, you know, got through like back in the USSR and just and it never really turned into anything. And then, you know, so when I hooked up with Pussy Galore, John was like, hey, we're thinking about, you know, covering uh, Exile on Main Street. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And so that was right around the time when Neil Haggerty showed up. Mm. And so we went into this classroom with like a beat up, eight track cassette recorder and you know and and within a week we just con conquered uh exile on main street and they put it out on 550 limited cassettes and then john was delivering the cassettes up to caroline to distribute them and caroline signed them called them into the office and signed them and then uh, you know the next day we were recording the first album right now but we had recorded wow. <laughs> we, we recorded before that, but we recorded Pussy Gold 5000. And, oh, the, yeah. you know, the members kept changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Christina was in the band at the beginning, and then, you know, then she left, and and then it was me, John, Neil, and Julie, and then Neil left, and it was me, John, Julie, and Kurt. Then Neil came back, and it was five of us. You know, it just kept changing. And, uh, you know, me and John were the only consistent ones right through the end. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, and that's so. After after Pussy Galore stopped, uh, I mean, did you guys like stay on good terms? I mean, are you were you did, you did you still hang out and stuff, even though you weren't playing together? Yeah, I, I I've stayed on good terms with every except for a couple that I don't want to mention. <laughs> as far as Sonic Youth and Pussy Galore, I've, I've been on good terms with all the members of those bands. And, uh, in fact, I was kind of like, in a way, a mediator in Pussy Galore because, you know, right? You know, there was a conflict between, you know, Julie and Christina for a while, and then John and Julie for a while. And, and I was just always like, you know, can you guys just get along and let's rock, you know? Right, <laughs> but, right. uh, <laughs> but, 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 you know, it had a lot to do with, you know, age, because they were, you know... They were younger. They were a little more impetuous, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And you you yeah, had already exactly. been in a band that had been doing stuff and it, right. as well, so that, that can't yeah. be discounted, yeah. also. Right. So, how much, how long of a gap, then, was it between before Hitmakers that you had played with John last? Well, as it's, it's well, it's, I mean, it would be Pussy Galore. It would be like 
the last album we did was called La Storia de la Musica Rock, which was just me, John, and Neil. And then, you know, we were supposed to go, we were supposed to tour on that record, and then Neil just, like, disappeared to, you know, San Francisco with Jennifer without even telling us. So, uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but, I, but I actually did a few little things with John. I mean, last year on Valentine's Day, Jonathan Tubin put on this event, and so I put this band together for to do like four cover songs, which was uh, me, John, Christina, Kid Congo, and uh, and Cynthia Ross of the B Girls. And you know, so uh, you know, we that was you know the last time I played with John before this, but uh, you know, I don't you know. I guess he uh, he recorded this record, you know, overdubbing all this metal percussion on it, and you know, I figured, he figured, uh, you know, if yeah, he had... wants to rock this shit live, he should uh... get the guy that does the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. Well, and so that so okay, so that's interesting because what I again what I mentioned that one of the things I liked about the Hitmaker said is that not only is there an awesome new record of of new material. And the Pussy Glore stuff, but you know, the blues explosion was a pretty big deal <laughs> during during that gap. And so, was it weird or awkward or anything to like play those songs? I mean, was it just something where you were trying to figure out a way to get in to add to it, or were there solid ideas already? No, well, I mean, like I said, it's John. It's John's trip, so he he came up with the songs, and then we just rehearsed the shit out of them. And uh, you know, and like I said, I'm just kind of accenting and embellishing things, so. You know, it it really in a way it's kind of cool because it, you know the two blues explosion songs that we do are uh, "Dang" and "Shirt Jack," which are both two really good songs. And yeah. and yeah. Uh, so, and then you know, and, and "Shirt Jack" is like I don't even think it, if it's more than a minute, it's not much more than a minute. Right. Um. So, and it was the same with uh, you know the heavy trash song. So it's just like it's John's set. <clears throat> They all fit very they, some, thematically. They yeah. all fit very nicely with each other. Yeah, I mean, at one point, I think Dale and I were looking at each other like, "Is this a blues explosion song or is this a pussy glory?" Like, no, I yeah. think it's blues explosion. <laughs> we were both like, kind of like, ah, I don't know, kind of could be either one though. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's funny that like it, thematically, it, it definitely all all kinds of fits together. Uh, but yeah. again, it's it's something that it, I think I th- I think it's uh, I'm not like you know, I mean I, I've I've followed the blues explosion from their very first show to their <clears throat> to the very last show and uh and i'm and you know they were they had their moments and stuff but uh i don't know it's like with john's with this new record spencer sings the hits i personally and this is just my opinion is like i don't see myself like you know putting i'm not the biggest blues explosion fan anyway but I don't find myself going back and listening to too much of that stuff. You know, I'd rather just throw this one on or yeah. pussy galore. Well, it <laughs> seems there's there's kind of more of an immediacy to it. And one thing I liked about the arrangement for the hitmakers is that because he's such a great frontman and definitely in the mold of like James Brown or something. Yeah. For me, at least, you kind of forget that the guy's a pretty damn good guitar player. And he's, oh yeah, and, totally. and, he, and he's playing more riffs and doing leads and stuff. And it's like, oh god, like that. You forget, you forget. Yeah, he, he was. He was always. So I think it was. 
I think Buzz and Dale were saying that to me on this last tour. They were saying, you know, he's really underrated as a guitar player. Yes, and that's because and that's because uh, you know, I always knew he was a great guitar player. But you know, like in Pussy Galore, he was you know Neil Haggerty is yeah, also Neil, a great guitar player. And Blues Explosion, and, and Kurt Judah. was really good too. Yeah, and, and then <laughs> you know, and the Blues Explosion was him and Judah feeding off each other. Yep, yeah. And you know, and, you know, and John, you know, he's always had this pretty much the same guitar sound with the uh, with the, those kind of cheapish guitars that he uses. So, well, and he tends to with an ensemble uh, kind of play to the song more than anything else, which. I am always a big fan of people playing the song. Don't get me wrong, but it was yeah. neat to kind of see him come at come at things a little more unleashed, and he gave it a different energy. And I thought that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So, how was switching gears then recently between doing the hitmaker stuff and then kick, getting back into the retrovirus uh, stuff? With um, it's, it, it's real. It, it's really night and day in every single way. I mean, I couldn't pick two more opposite personalities than <laughs> right. John Spencer and Lydia Lunch. And the touring is is uh is a is, is a complete different thing, you know, I mean you know the, even the you know the guys and other guys in retrovirus, Weasel Walter and Tim Dahl, I mean not only they are they extremely talented, but they those guys like to party, you know. And uh <laughs> It's 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 a whole other world. John, John playing with John is like very very extremely professional, and the audience is, is different. Everything's about it is different. I mean, I've known Lydia since 1982. Yeah. I've known John since 1986. Um, and you know, I'm definitely closer. I'm close with both of them, but you know, I'm definitely closer with Lydia. I mean, and and. Uh, it's it's a whole other thing. Not to mention the fact that uh, you know playing a real drum set and banging on a gas tank are you know, <laughs> not quite not quite the same. They're yeah. adjacent skills, but they're not the same <laughs> skill, to be sure. Yeah, and Lydia, you know, with retrovirus, we've been going for the past six years, and it's been great because uh, I've gotten to places that I'd never have gotten before, like Australia and Brazil and Moscow and all over the place, and so it, it's it's that's been a total blast. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think we're actually slowing down for 2019 a, because I'm going to be so busy with John and she's got a million other projects going on. I also, you know, as long as this interview is with me, uh, I'll say that in February, I got an album coming out with the Wolf Manhattan project, which is me, Kid Congo powers and Mick Collins. And, uh, and I also have a book coming out on Hozak. Hey, so that, nice. so, uh, yeah. So what what was it? I, you you kind of cut out a little bit when you said what the band name was for what the thing with you and Kid Congo. What, what was that called again? The Wolf Manhattan Project. Wolf Manhattan. Okay. Nice. Well, c- yeah. congratulations on both. That's awesome. We'll be we'll be looking forward to that. Yeah. This. Thank you. <laughs> so it, it's interesting you mention some stuff with Lydia, just because I think that so I saw the uh, only retrovirus set I saw was at the Amrep Bash. Uh, and, okay, uh, which was great, and it was definitely a a one of the like I wasn't surprised necessarily, but it, it was a very nice, pleasant surprise of just like how great it was in the way that it, it kind of owned Lydia's legacy uh, and sort of paid homage to these different eras of like 
of the music while all seeming very natural at the same time. And, yes. uh, you know, it, that's something where there's definitely was a sort of authorship and, and a certain degree of love with all the people <laughs> playing it to, to own that, own the music. And it, it definitely kind of, it hit a little differently just because of well, she was the only woman on the bill for one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was actually driving to that. I, I was, I was, <laughs> that was going to be the next thing. I was, I was like at, at a predominantly doodly oriented uh, bill. It, it was a yeah. It was a ni- it was a nice thing. So, I, I think I told the story. Was, the bathroom. Someone story, right? I, thought, I don't know. Someone might have been Weasel or Tim was referring to that day as uh, Dad Rock. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> cool dads, but dads nonetheless, and yeah, not yeah, be well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so has it been? So the experience of playing in in Retrovirus and how people react to those songs and how that you know connects with the audience and in a different way. Uh, how's well, how's that? See, been? That's been like. See, you have to understand that it's like the dream gig for me because. I was a gigantic Lydia fan right off the bat. Sure. So when I met when I met her, when I actually met her at the very first show I played with Sonic Youth at CBGB in 1982, and um, and I, you know she just has this personality, and I just I'm just like when Lydia introduces me to people, she's just like, you know, this is Bob. He's seen me perform live more than any other human, and it's true because. Uh, <laughs> You know, as soon as I caught on to her, I just went to see her play every chance I got. And I saw all her, you know, so I saw Eight-Eyed Spy a bunch of times. Yep. I saw Thirteen Thirteen. Mm. I saw her the beginning of all her spoken word performances, yep. her plays, whatever she was doing. Plus, I was, you know, hanging out with her all, all the time, going to dinner parties and stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's, it, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's different. Like, I, you know... I'll come home from a retrovirus tour and I'll, I'll play a Liddy Lunch record. I'm still such a, I'm <laughs> as like mean. big a fan as yeah. I am a friend or, you know, and so, so that's been like, you know, my dream gig to actually play all these songs that I've been listening to forever. You know, the best songs of every one of her different musical projects. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's been great, you know, and, you know, the other two, I mean, Weasel is another, you know, he's younger than me, but he's, you know, a no wave historian, yeah, fanatic, nerd, geek, genius, and uh, incredible uh, work so, ethic with that guy. That guy is a uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he walked he walked into the first retrovirus rehearsal knowing how to play all the songs, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he, he takes it very seriously, as uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's it's interesting too. Well, and I also thought that with the retrovirus stuff, like having him involved is is kind of was kind of fantastic too, because it was kind of made it a multi generational thing, uh, right? And I thought that that was like subtle, like it wasn't like you know a wham wacky over the head kind of thing, but like oh that is kind of cool that it's yeah no it's a great thing because when Lydia was putting it together, you know she had Al just. Kizzy's on board. He was the first bass player of Retrovirus, and then uh, and me, and she was like, you know, we have to get a guitar player. And she went. We went through so many people. She asked Paul Leary of the Bottle Surfers. She asked like a million people. You know, all these well-known players, and then finally, you know, Weasel just got wind of it. I think from. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, what's the guy's name? Connolly from the Revolting Cocks. Oh yeah, Chris Connolly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, so yeah. So, so Weasel, once he got the word, he just contacted Lydia and said, "Look no further. I'm your guy." <laughs> <laughs> I, remember, I remember getting the call from Lydia like, "The search is over." Weasel Walters, the guitar player. I'm like, Okay, I met him once a long time ago. He's kind of wacky, <laughs> but but it's awesome that I mean he seems to approach it from uh, such a place of of this, as you said, like being a fan of the music, like with an earnest and and deep abiding appreciation yeah. and love for it, and that so yeah, shows because yeah. he throws his all yeah. into it. And he's a you know he's any instrument you play on, he always. <laughs> He puts himself into yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's, that's you know that's all he does twenty four seven. So He's either listening to music or analyzing it. <laughs> he goes through his phases of different bands where he just like listens to everything they do and knows every fact, and it could be anyone from you know. Poison idea to foreigner, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like a walking encyclopedia, and that's coming from me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think so. It's it's so. What was the first retrovirus uh, practices like? Because I mean, you're, you're both coming at it from sort of a similar place of like you know being fans of the music and like having like a, a good like uh, overarching view. So the first rehearsals view. were good. Were good, you know. The first rehearsals, we did a couple of rehearsals without Lydia because she was still living in Barcelona at the time. And uh, I mean, it was a little bit weird because you know, uh, Weasel and Algis, the personalities kind of clashed a little bit, mm. and uh, so that was kind of weird. And uh, and then you know, it went going pretty well for a while, and then at one point. You know, I don't know. I don't want to get into it for any reasons, but Al just, you know, left, and then, uh, and then, you know, I guess Weasel was good friends with Tim Dahl, who had a band called Child, has a band called Child Abuse, and he's just another one of those amazing, trained, crazy players, and, and uh, he wasn't even that familiar with Lydia Lunch, but he fit in perfect. Oh, nice. So how did how did it come to like when you when you were picking, you got this deep catalog of stuff you know even if just you were to focus on the early stuff just with the you know eight-eyed spy and the teenage jesus and the jerk stuff there's a huge swath of stuff to pick from like how do you yeah i know they were just picked out you know we were doing two different teenage jesus songs for a while two different eight-eyed spy now we're doing a different we're doing a different eight-eyed spy but yeah we just i don't know they just i guess weasel and lydia picked out like i mean as soon as lydia called me before we even rehearsed i said we have to play three times three from thirteen right. thirteen. That's my favorite song. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I think we played that every show. <laughs> so we actually do like three or four songs from the thirteen thirteen record, and then we do, you know, we hit the you know the shotgun wedding, the stuff she's yep. done did with Roland S. Howard mm. and underrated and, uh, record. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, totally. And, and so, uh, and you, you, yeah, you I don't played, know how we uh, picked them, but. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but you, you played the uh, was a Black Juju, the Dallas uh, Cooper song. Mm. Did uh, we did we do that in Minneapolis? I thought you did. Yeah, because well, you must have. Yeah, I, I okay. think that's the only time I saw you play. Yeah, uh, we recently we dropped that in the last. We were doing that from day one, and then we're doing uh, Frankie Teardrop by Suicide nice. a lot, where I just like hit the. I play like a drum machine for like 10 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say, then, how um, exhausting does that get, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But those, those were pretty uh, frantic performances of that song. And then, 
Yeah, now and recently we we were you know doing um, Final Solution by Parahubu, nice, nice. and and and, um, and now we we finished the set with a song that Lydia does with her other band, Big Sexy Noise, called Forever on the Run. Big Sexy Noise is her uh, band with uh, uh, James Johnston and Ian White from Gallon Drunk oh, backing no. her up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She just finished a, like a three week tour with them in Europe. She just got home the other day. So, Jeez. <laughs> all right, damn, exhausted yeah. is hearing these all these uh, stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the you know getting back over the hitmaker stuff. You guys, uh, you did this marathon practice, hoof it over to Minneapolis, and the next thing you know, you're on tour with the Melvins. Uh, you- yeah, and, and it was really. It was really mind blowing to like sword because he he's never been in that this kind of world before, and he was really freaked out because you know John, you know John's kind of like I don't know I don't want to say like strict or anything, but you know he's not like you know you know but that's the thing also with Lydia it's totally loose you know if someone were to fuck up a song she'd like laugh you know. But uh, she doesn't doesn't really matter. And uh, but with John, everything is so tight and structured. And it's funny because I remember one of the first things, you know, I was meeting Sword for the first time. That's another thing too. I mean, I've known John for all this time, but those other guys don't really know him that well at all, especially Sword. And so, he, John was, you know, kind of being a little tough on us and like one of the first things sword said to me like the first time i was alone with him he's like bob how do you i really admire the the way you stay so calm and cool around john (laughs) 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 and i said dude life's too short i'm not gonna like you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's That's that's what uh, that's the skill. Some of the skills you need to continue doing it, right? Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you know, it seems like that's also just a good. You know, the Melvins, of course, being a, a band with incredible work ethic, but that's a great crowd for you guys to be playing in front of because you know they're obviously somewhat receptive to like weird freakish <laughs> music that's a little off kilter. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, pretty much, I mean, it's funny because uh, in like 1988 or something like that, the Melvins opened for Pussy Galore and, uh, and I guess they really loved it then. And, 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 uh, cause I remember afterwards, you know, I'd seen pictures of Buzz wearing his Pussy Galore shirt for like years. And, and, and so you know, I, I kind of uh, only in the last four years or so, I kind of got friendly with Dale, and you know, they they played Maxwell's on that one tour where they were playing a different state every day. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, ah, Max Maxwell's R.I.P. Man, damn. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. That was my. I live a block away, so it's like been my home away for. I spent more than half my life in that place, and I've seen <laughs> the most incredible shows ever. Yeah, great you venue, know, but, uh, great place. Yeah. So anyway, you know, Dale took me into the basement to meet Buzz. You know, you know, Buzz, he doesn't pretty much go out. He's not a big, yeah, he's not a big carouser. He's a, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with his history, now he's so recognizable, you know. So Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and then, you know, when we played in Minneapolis at uh, Bash 17, I became friendlier with him, and Buzz was asking me, like, a million questions about Pussy Galore and stuff, and you know, they actually covered Adolescent Wet Dream at one point. Yeah, it's, a, um, it's on a 7-inch. Uh, yeah. God, I have it. But there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a cool uh, video of them performing it live on YouTube. Nice. And so, um, yeah, it was kind of funny. And then, uh, you know, so uh, the Melvins came to town a year or two ago, and... and uh, I happened to go and John happened to be there. So we, we both went backstage and, you know, Buzz was t- talking about like, yeah, live in the red, my favorite record. He got, you know, and, you know, in a way I kind of, um, almost credit the Melvins for kind of bringing this whole metal percussion and, uh, pussy galore stuff back to John, because I don't think John, especially during the blues explosion, <clears throat> I don't think John actually, ever kind of realize, um, you know, the people that, that love pussy galore really love pussy galore. Right. Like the uh, level of connection was very deep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm almost thinking that like Buzz and Dale and even, and Steve McDonald even were kind of like, you know, making John more aware of that a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, he makes his record and he's, he's like asking me to play with him. So I, I think the Melvins might've had a little bit of influence on that, but I can't say that for a fact. It, it wouldn't be the first wag the dog moment for those guys. They're, uh, they, yeah, they're, they're you know, they're very big fans of the things that they're fans of. Mm. And, Oh yeah. A, and I, and I, and I love them. They're the best guys in the world. And, uh, it's funny because like, you know, buzz is like, He's like still texting me like every couple of days. <laughs> he like he like he was always like following me around. You know, we got along really, really, really well. And, and the same with uh, I mean, Steve McDonald, I've known forever. I'm like the biggest Red Cross fan in the world. Sure. And uh, and you know, and I I just met Pinkus, and he's awesome. And you know, they're, they're all fucking awesome dudes. And I, it was really great to see how far they've come and their their whole working machine and how they really have the whole game down <laughs> more yeah. than any other band I can think of yeah. currently. You know? They they, mm. they have it as dialed in as one can dial in a thing. I mean, it's... it's yeah, totally. And it's, it's you know, a lot of it has to do because of the work ethic, and that's something where, <laughs> you know, you, you have to be ready to put in the work. You're not going to be going on partying right. necessarily. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and that was the tour that debuted with uh, Pincus and uh, Steve doing the double bass stuff as well, which is uh, yeah, fascinatingly yeah. daunting. Uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, really, really good, but like, wow, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So between that and the junk percussion, have you lost all your hearing then, or just some of it? Uh, you know, I've always been very protective. You got to realize that, you know, even from the beginning. I you know I've, I've played in two of New York City's loudest bands. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and the Sonic Youth. You know, we went on tour a couple of times. First couple of tours were with the Swans, <clears throat> oh, who uh, 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's no bedroom acoustic now, act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was like you could feel like the insides of your body shifting around if you were in a <laughs> a, a club in 1982 Oof. with four people watching and uh, just <laughs> sheer volume. And uh, so it's amazing that my hearing isn't it, but I've always been, you know, very cautious. I've always worn ear earplugs and I have my professionally made earplugs, but you know, my, it's, and that's what I'm saying. I think we'll see if I could hear after working a year with John, cause uh, it seems to be making my ears. And maybe it was the two tours in a row that, that did it. But, mm. but you know, it's like Mike, Mike, Michael Girard, the singer of the Swans never wore earplugs. Yeah, I just read right. the, I can't even and imagine just, that. Well, he's like, you know, pretty, you know, hearing as fuck. And I was just reading that Swan's book, which I'm like, uh, you know, in it for a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's like, a, a, you know, um, a verbal story from all the participants. And they're talking towards the end of the book how they brought a hearing expert into one of their shows. And the hearing, they, they came to the conclusion that being in a room with the swans playing for like, I think it was like two minutes and a half without earplugs is like permanent ear damage. <laughs> so, you, so you think about like, God you know, 30 years rehearsing yeah. for 12 hours, and, yeah. you know, making records and touring. And it's just, you know, it's fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, you know, and as you mentioned, it's not like Sonic Youth was, again, some bedroom acoustic act or anything. Like, there was a, oh, yeah. a mighty ruckus when I was When I was in the band, you know, we're playing these little tiny clubs, and, and then, uh, you know, they were, volume was, their, was part of their thing back then, and, you know, having, you know, Kim's voice screaming through your monitor, and... uh and then, you know, and then to follow that with Pussy Galore, which didn't even have a bass, and we rehearsed in this tiny little basement. I'll, I'll and, 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 pe and people like, yeah, Julie and, and people like that don't really know how to play the guitar, just like blowing your ears out as, as they plug it into an amp, you know? Right. Yeah. Squealing all the time. It's just, it was, it, it was, it's crazy. So considering that I've never really stopped, and then, you know, the Chrome Cranks weren't exactly a yeah Chrome Cranks were either exactly yes <laughs> and then, you know I spent many years with them not exactly and a barbershop them, the quartet the Knoxville girls and, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. well and that's so did you find uh, after so after you left Sonic Youth did, like did you kind of keep up with what they were up to uh, oh yeah professionally it, you know? it, well, after I left Sonic Youth, I was, you know, in Pussy Galore. And at the time, I mean, Sonic Youth's career was like a ladder. And, you know, people kind of were like, you know, in a way, some people might have thought like, oh, you know, you, you know, I remember, I remember one of the uh, British newspaper referring to me as Bob Best, like I, <laughs> like I left the Beatles before they got huge or something. <laughs> right, right. And uh, the Beatles of things that people sometimes kind of care about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and and but you know they, they didn't like you know they didn't sign to Geffen and get you know really popular until at least you know five or six years after I left. Their career was kind of like a ladder. But yeah, I, I always followed them. There was a point, you know, 
probably in the early 90s when they were like all over the place and getting really, really popular. And all my friends that I couldn't even get to come see us play when I was in the band Oof. are now working for them, you know? Uh, right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, and, and meanwhile, I was like broke and not really playing with anyone worthwhile. And it was, you know, I, you know, I, you know, went through a little period where I might have been a little bit like, oh, you know, bitter seeing, you know, and, you know, and then, and then at the same time, I'm seeing, you know, John be really successful with the Blues Explosion. Right, right. Neil Haggerty being really with Royal Trucks and then Free Kitten. And, and I'm like, oh, man, my own yeah. band bewitched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I but, mean, you know, whatever. Keeps you humble, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And, and also, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, now looking back, it's just like, man, it's pretty amazing. That was I, I was a part of so many worthwhile bands that people still care about a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think if you think about the resume, you know, there's there's people that discover, you know, there's kids that discover the, that Sonic the Sonic Youth record. There's kids that discover Pussy Galore literally every year. Mm-hmm. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's never yeah, goes yeah. away. It's like a new generation every year. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, you know. So many kids come up to me. Uh, you know, like, oh, you know, Bad Moon Rising changed my life, blah, 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 you know, so. Well, and yeah, talk. let's talk about that record a little bit, because that's kind of a one of the sort of gold standard weird records, uh, <laughs> you know, just it's it's a very, it's got a unique moody feel to it that's almost like, um, very, very hard which, to pin which, down. Which se- separates it from the rest of their catalog, yeah. I think, in a weird <laughs> right. way, you know. Yeah, it's really good not or, good or good or bad. <laughs> I don't no, think for good, but it's really in it. it, it Sonic Youth always seem to have kind of like little phases, and that one kind of Bad Moon kind of just sits on its own. Right, I'd agree with yeah. that. Yeah. It's that you know that kind yeah. of weird like dark Americana thing. Yeah, and it's also the, you know it's bizarre because it, it you know I, I'm not one of these people that you know knew from an early age that I was going to be a musician and just, you know, kept playing and playing and playing like most people, most people, I, you know, musicians I know. Um, and I kind of was, you know, in a different field. I was more trying to be an artist. I became a fine art silkscreen printer. I actually ended up, you know, printing Andy Warhol's artwork in the eighties for a bit. Oh man. And so, and so, uh, you know, the fact that, I wasn't a technical drummer and I was more influenced by no wave than anything else. And when, you know, bad moon rising is the very first album I play on. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, and it's like the most famous one I played on like 30 albums since then. And that's, <laughs> right. the one that, <laughs> that's the one people want to talk about. The only one that's, <laughs> yeah. It's the only one that's, you know, been on a major label it still yeah. gets reissued all the time yep. i still see i get a little bit of money from and and blah 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 you know and uh and i think maybe part of the reason why it's unique is because it's not all like you know like a lot of it's, the drumming on some of the songs is so minimal i was actually more influenced by <laughs> suicide that didn't have mm. a drummer right than, right yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Well, in in it's like as Josh mentioned, it does have almost like a dark Americana kind of feel. So, I mean, was that something that just sort of came together, like the 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 sound and feel of it? Did that come together naturally? Was there like a focused 
Well, it's kind of funny because because it was actually, you know, it was kind of composed in the order that it ended up being. And it was kind of, in a weird way, almost kind of a concept record. And that was the point where they decided, even live, to, like, you know, have all these segues of, like, noise or feedback or whatever going from... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because before that, when I saw them... When I first saw Sonic Youth play, you know, when their first EP came out, and I went to see them play a few times with Richard Edson, and that was my the thing. It was just like there was just such long gaps in between the songs while they switched guitars, <laughs> they uh, blah blah blah. And Richard Edson was like looking, like rolling his eyes, like "Come on, let's fucking go," <laughs> you know, because because they that's how they worked back then. They had really crappy guitars, so yeah. they were just like would wire up a guitar, which was only good for one song. Right. And right. so when we went, when we went to do our first tour of Europe, you know, we were carrying like 13 guitars and, <laughs> and, uh, and we actually did a tour using URL passes. We didn't even have a van. You know? Right. But Sonic Youth. One thing I'll say about Sonic Youth is they kind of like, you know, opened the door for American indie rock bands to, to tour Europe. Yeah. We, you know, we went, we went over there before anybody. Yeah, and so. was that was that something that? I mean, just kind of like thinking about in terms of kind of being some of the one of the paragons of uh, of forging that circuit. <laughs> uh, what? Did, how did those shows go? Was it was it well received? Was it received more as art? Was it received more as like a rock band? Like how, how they were they were received really well, and they weren't like you know well booked tours. See what happened was. Are we going over our limit here? Or no, oh, no. Um, I just, I just think that's hilarious, <laughs> and I know, you know exactly so, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, I when I joined Sonic Youth, they they were working on uh, the, the uh, Confusion is Sex record, and I was playing all those songs with them, and then they <clears throat> fired me, and they hired Jim Sklavunos. Oh yeah, and he and he he ended up playing on most of that record, and he only did like two shows with them, mm. and then he split. And in the few months that he was in the band, <clears throat> I was like practicing with other people and really kind of improving my skills. So they, after Jim left, they asked me if I could come back, and they had this show at the the White Columns Art Gallery called Speed Trials, which was a a whole week of shows and it was great. You know, the, the Beastie Boys were on the bill, the yeah. fall, There's Swans, that, blah, blah, blah. That Homestead record. Yeah. Yeah. And so I got back to rehearse with them and they were like kind of impressed, you know, of my, you know, of my skills improving. And so we did that show. And then the very next day after that show, Lee and Thurston were flying to Europe to uh, tour with Glenn Branca. Oh, and while yeah. they were over there with, while they were over there with Glenn Branca, they were setting up the very first Sonic Youth tour. Oh. So, so after the Speed Trials show, we were at a bar across the street, and they were like asking me to rejoin the if I would go to Europe with them. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll go to Europe with you, but you have to promise me, a that it's not going to cost me a penny. And B that you're not going to fire me at the end of the tour. So <laughs> both both of, both of which are fair asks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 
you know, so that's when we went over there and we, you know, it wasn't like a, a tour tour. I don't know how many shows we did, but there were sometimes we had like four or five days in between shows, you know, we were just like staying at people's houses and, and whatnot. And like I said, we were traveling around on Ural passes and passing yeah. like thir- 13 guitars through the windows of trains. And, and how, how were like you even carrying playing. all of them? Were they in cases? Like, I mean, I, I came in. They were in beat up cases and. We would get to a train station and get one of those wheelie carts and, you know. <laughs> Just pile them up. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy when you think about it now. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, my God. Good, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's, it seems... It seems very labor intensive, but I mean, I guess at that point, you know, if, you, you know, if you've never but been get, there, but you're getting, young, getting you know? back, getting back to the reaction. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Lee and Thurston were over there and then Kim went over there. <laughs> so in 1983, I think it was on my birthday, I traveled 24 hours. I went to Kennedy airport. I flew to Paris where I waited six hours to get on a seven hour train. <clears throat> and it dropped me off in Lausanne, Switzerland where somebody picked me up in a Volkswagen and drove me right to the first show. And I walked right on stage and, um, <laughs> and wow. played in front of all these like Swiss people. I had to, I was using the opening there and drum kit, which was like really bizarre. It was like this fiberglass kit that the toms were like horns. And, uh, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, was, yeah. 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 I, I know. I know the style you're talking. I forget what they're called, but, uh, and yeah, that, I'm yeah, just ensured that every drummer that listens to the show is going to email me now. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, we we were like, there was this couple that was in New York, the Swiss couple, Catherine and Nicole, Nicholas Sarasol, mm-hmm. and they were kind of patrons of the arts. So they, she has, there's like, she has a book of her photos out, and uh, it's really great. It's, I have it right here. Uh, it's called. Beauty lies in the eye. Ah. And, uh, and so there's actually a photo in that book from that show. Nice. My very first show in Europe ever. And so, uh, and you know, so we played our set and then we did, I want to be your dog at the end. And then Lee and Thurston were just like, you know, doing this feedback thing. And the people went nuts. They were like lighting bonfires in the crowd and stuff. And, wow. you know, like in the early 80s, it was crazy because, you know, Europe was a little bit behind. So, and they, you know, by that point, by the time punk rock got over to, to like places like Switzerland, you know, it was totally, you know, so many generations. And there's all these, you know, like big glue mohawk kind of heads and stuff. You know, we, I remember pulling into a, we pulled into a club somewhere. It might've been in Switzerland or Germany or somewhere. And we pull into the parking lot and a lot of clubs back then were actually like government run centers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we pull into this one and in the parking lot, there's like all these skinheads and they're all like huffing bags of glue. And we thought, Oh <laughs> fuck, this is going to, this is kind of scary. You know? <laughs> right. What, yeah. what, what, because, uh, <clears throat> I mean, that was the cool thing about those early tours is that, you knew no one's ever, ever heard music like this. And right. they, a lot of people think, you know, that, oh, it's New York City, Sonic Youth, it's like a hardcore band or something. But, yeah. you know, so people were just like, you know, were, were kind of like their jaws were on the floor. Like, what the hell is going on here? You know? <laughs> so, I mean, and but did you find that the other way held true as well, that people kind of 
where some people kind of knew what to expect and kind of were were treating it like an art thing, or was everyone kind of like fir- very firmly coming from the from the world of of punk? Yeah, it was hard. Things? It's hard to say because like there wasn't much going as far as touring bands back then, especially on that level of like underground rock or whatever. So it would just say from New York, Sonic Youth and. I think just from New York would always bring in people <laughs> for some reason. You know, I mean, Europe's a whole other market. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we've been playing to like, um, you know, like smallish crowds, you know, whatever in New York. And then, you know, back then there was the uh, three British newspapers, that, yeah. you know. Yep. And so... Even though we were losing money, we had to play London. So our very first show in London was on a bill. Uh, the headliner was SPK from Australia. And uh, and then this Daniel Dax was on the bill. Hmm. <clears throat> so, so we get to the show, and there's a big argument over who's going first and who's going second between Sonic Youth and Daniel Dax's people. <laughs> and so we ended... We ended up going on first, and it was a disaster. You know, they told us, "Oh, you can only play like twenty minutes." And so we're playing; everything's falling apart. The drum set falls apart. Thurston's guitar falls apart. Thurston starts freaking out and just sliding the, the monitors all over the stage. They bring down this wooden curtain, like in the middle of a song, you know, in front of us. And it was just a fucking disaster. And we like we flew home. <laughs> We flew home the next day. Ooh, it's That's Yeah, yeah. We blew it. That was our big chance. And then, you know, and then, of course, the three papers came out the following week raving about it. It was like the <laughs> coolest thing they've ever seen. And then all, all of a sudden, you know, we were packing CDGVs. So, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there you go. Yeah, man, 20 minutes. You'd be like, uh, yeah, these guys need, need 20 minutes just to find their guitars. Are you kidding me with that? <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's you know, and that's it's crazy to think about how much influence those those papers had back then, just because I mean there wasn't any other way to find out about that kind of stuff, right? There wasn't. Well, it was bizarre. You know, here you have a country that's like the size of Connecticut, and they have three weekly music newspapers. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, they're in competition. And they with were each like other. you know <laughs> making making and breaking bands every week. You know. Yeah. Jeez. So you know, things in New York. Obviously, after that, we're getting better. But, you know, internally, you know, there was obviously that's you know, that can't have felt good to like end end on that as a note. Right. When you, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, did things like, you know, get better after that? Was that something where, you know, was there a harsh yeah, assessment? I mean, I, I, after that, you know, I, I, you know, I stayed with them. Uh, you know, I believe, you know, their website has everything documented. So I figured I. I played 90 shows with them all together. Um, I went to Europe with them like three times and, you know, recorded uh, the Kill Your Idols EP, Mm -hmm. the Flower Halloween 12-inch and Bad Moon Rising. And yeah, that was was my time in Sonic. Well, and that's something that... I mean, did it feel like momentous at the time. I don't know exactly how to phrase this, but I mean, did it feel as if like what you were doing was going to have like long last lasting ripple effects at the time or. 
No, it didn't. I thought we were like, in, you know, I, I knew we were better than a lot of the other bands that were around at the same time that were trying to be dissonant and, and, and stuff. And, um, but like I said before, at the beginning, like I would have never in my million wildest dreams imagined that people would still be talking about Sonic Youth in 2018. Yeah. I didn't see back then, like, hey, in a couple of years, there's going to be this thing called 120 minutes and <laughs> yeah. alternative music. <laughs> right, and, yeah. You know, we were a fucking, you know, downtown, underground, noisy New York City band. And uh, I remember when we hooked up with this guy, Paul Smith, who mm. put out the Bad Moon Rising album in, in Europe and works for Mute Records and has a record label called Blast First. He was like, he was like kind of taking control of us. And he was like, he kept saying like at the time, like, I'm going to make you as big as the birthday party. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Which, which is amazing. And one of my favorite bands of all time, but a hilarious statement ultimately. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, actually, just saw a YouTube video of them playing in '83 in Minneapolis uh, yesterday on, oh, nice. on oh, wow. YouTube because freaking YouTube, man! Yeah. So everybody's got everything up there. That's true. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a great thing. It's like you know when YouTube started coming around, and like you know, I'm seeing like I, you know, I actually could like watch me playing with Sonic Youth in Italy in like 1983, oh, yeah. and maybe the footage isn't good, but it's just like. God, you know, it's like really refreshes your memory, you know. So does it There's does some it really just, good good stuff in there? Yeah, does that does that just like totally take you back? I mean, do you remember? Does it like totally bring the tactile experience back almost? Where you? Yeah, like you, you can imagine it because you remember it. Like there's this one clip that uh, they have on there where it's uh, we're doing uh, it's from France and we're playing making the nature scene and it's in this gigantic tent. And like, yeah, I remember we were opening for Killing Joke and, uh, but, you know, actually like watching it, you know, and then that, you know, the fact that we, we, we did that show with the Desolation Center in the desert oh, yeah. in 85, oh, you yeah. know, yeah, 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 that yeah. whole thing is like, you know, on YouTube and been released on videotape. And like, that was such an epic, you know, experience, you know, playing in the middle of the Mojave Desert with I saw that's where I saw Red Cross for the first time, and you know the Meat Puppets played, and you know. It's... Well, yeah, and that's something that you you mentioned you guys being sort of like a you know New York art rock thing, and then like suddenly you're having all these experiences and going to all these different places, and uh, you know the the context that that brings can kind of you know uh, that can be a yeah a, a nice nice little mind blower, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as far as when you guys made Bad Moon Rising, calling it Bad Moon Rising was kind of audacious. I mean, obviously, you know, hello, CCR, right? But, like, very fitting in tone because it did have kind of like that moody sort of like kind of, oh, something <laughs> something crazy is about to happen. <laughs> Something's on the horizon. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, don't, I, I can't really remember them coming up with that. I remember some names being busted around. I mean, Hairball was a name. <laughs> and uh, wow, dodge that bullet! I swear to God, I swear to God, Lee Ronaldo even said Stonehenge at one point. <laughs> oh my God! Wait, and that was that. Wait, was that a, was that pre was that pre Spinal Tap or post Spinal? It was like you know, post. I think Spinal Tap was just out. Okay, I don't know. 
if he'd seen it yet. <laughs> Not to it, mention that there was a 10 years after album with the same name. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stonehenge. Get out of here. So, but, you know, a, a big part of that record is, uh, you know, and the feel of it is the fact that you're a very, you know, you get a unique, unorthodox style. Like you mentioned you know, taking your a, a lot of your influence sort of more from like the art side of things, you know, things like suicide, stuff like that. So where, like when you, when you were kind of, when you were either woodshedding or just when you first were coming to it, who, what were the kind of uh, people or acts that you were thinking of when you were thinking like, yeah, I want to do something kind of like that? Well, you know, like I said, I, I grew up in a time, I, I, you know, I was, Old enough that, like, you know, seeing, and a lot of people, when you you read interviews with musicians that are around my age, they all say the same thing, you know, seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan right. kind of <laughs> opened up everybody's eyes, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And so I took drum lessons when I was 12 for a year. And then I, you know, I played while I was living at home with my parents and, and you know, basement a little bit, but I wasn't that serious about it. And, uh, and once I moved out of my house when I was like 17 or 18, I didn't think about playing the drums at all, but I was like a big fan. I was going to tons of concerts. You know, in the early 70s, I got into, you know, glam, and I went to see the New York Dolls at Max's and saw them a bunch of times. And then um, I discovered CBGB's in 1975. I went there with a friend and... Uh, it was like a weeknight and Patty Smith and television were playing. There was like hardly anyone there. But I said, man, this is like, they really opened my eyes. And it was like, even though I grew up five minutes away, I was, you know, it was a whole nother world in suburbia. Yeah. And, uh, and so I said, I, I really like love the vibe there and the interesting looking people and the cute girls and everything. So I was just like, started going there four times a week. So I saw like the earliest shows of everyone. I saw the first Richard Hell and the Voidoid shows. I saw Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers when Richard Hell was in the band. Oh man! You know, wow. And I think I saw. I think I, I think I saw Richard Hell in television, the Heartbreakers, and the Voidoids. Void <laughs> <laughs> get, get the. Uh, I, I think I think you get a uh, like a free toaster when you when you get right. all three of them, right? <laughs> and so and, and so, and so uh, back then, you know, I was just a fan, so I was seeing people like. You know, uh, Mark Bell and Clem Burke and all these like amazing Jerry Nolan, you know, mm, yeah. still one of my favorites. Yeah. You know, they, just these amazing drummers. I was like, the thought of being a drummer never occurred to me. And so, um, you know, and then as, you know, as post punk came along, I started getting more into like groove oriented stuff, but I was really into the whole no wave music. Once I got turned on to the No New York compilation yeah. album, <clears throat> so I started going to see all those shows. And then in 1979, I saw a little. I was silkscreen printing in Soho, and I saw a little ad in the Village Voice that said "Punk Rock Art Wanted." So I went to this gallery and submitted a piece, and they took it. So I was in this group show, and. Uh, Joey Ramone was in it. He had a toothbrush on the ceiling called Bloody Gums. Um, <laughs> That's funny. You know, and it was really, you know, to, to me, it was such a big deal at the time. I was like, wow. You know, and, and so 
I became associated with that gallery and that's where I met my future wife. So we started dating on January 1st, 1980. And I lived on the uh, Upper West Side and she lived in Jersey City. So we compromised and we moved together to Hoboken <laughs> in, 19, to 19, in 1981. And uh, one night we were at a club seeing some friends play. It wasn't Maxwell's, it was another place. And one of the bands didn't show up and we had been drinking. And someone said, hey, is there anyone play the drums here? And my wife was like, yeah, Bob does. So I got up on the stage that night and started jamming with these two other guys. And that turned into my first band. And I started, like, you know, really liking it because it was like all of a sudden, you know, it was much more social. Like you'd play a show and then you'd run into someone and say, hey, that's how you play, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I just never stopped. And I just never stopped from there, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> well, and that's something that I mean, I kind of feel that there's like a rock and roll narrative that usually, you know, if, if it doesn't follow the like exact behind the music model, there's definitely the oh, there's the reclusive right. period where you know <laughs> he only made finger paintings in the woods, you know, like whatever. You know, and some, and some you were asking about like my my influences, so you know, when No Wave came along, and I was hearing like Ikaway Mori and yeah. Bradley Field during yep. playing one drum. I was like, okay, and I, and I was like, you know, concept is much more interesting than technical ability. Right. So I kind of wanted, I was trying to learn how to play, and I thought, well, if I can combine, like, the grooves of, so let's say, ESG, the rock mm, of Jerry mm. Nolan, and, and the tribalness of Ikaway Mori, mm. I was just trying to combine, like, different styles that I liked and kind of create my own style, and I don't know, I think I kind of achieved it, because, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think you did okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I could definitely say, like, you know, just starting out with nature scene, like that's that definitely is you know very DNA like, but it still has yeah. more of the the groove in it. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because you know I had been playing all those songs, and so when Jim Sclavunos was in the band, <clears throat> even though I was kind of bummed that I that they kicked me out. I still was hanging around them and I went to see them play with Scalunos at the kitchen. And, you know, I thought, you know, he's a great, I thought he was a great drummer, but he just played really light. And back then mm. you really had to have a big, heavy sound. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, my approach to all the songs on confusion is sex are totally different than his. It would have been a totally different record and probably would have sounded more like, bad moon if i had played on that record sure. but i remember you know i remember going up to lee after the show and saying like yeah you know well i, I said to him you know yeah you know he's great really but the one thing I, I i have to tell you is like i definitely play a better nature scene than him <laughs> <laughs> so they they took me on my word and they called me into the studio that's and, awesome uh, <laughs> Well, you so know, they, it's... So, so they let me come into the studio and back then because they were so loud and I was still figuring things out, I was playing with, the, you know, the big fat drumsticks and, and I just like did nature scene in one take. And I, I, you know, I remember Wharton Tears, the, who recorded it, you know, a couple of years later was saying, yeah, you know, 
after you did that one take on Nature Scene, you destroyed every head on the drum set. I had to replace them all. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's how it's done, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's well, a few drum heads when you're making rock and roll history, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now, you know, making making the Nature Scene, that's my very first, you know, professional recording. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> Well, hey, way to start off with a bang, huh? Yeah, I mean, it it very much stands out. Cool. So, so talk to the one. The one era we we haven't really talked about that much is uh, so post Pussy Galore, like Chrome Cranks that that era, the nineties. Yeah, like I I feel like you. It's kind of given short shrift, and and also I realize people's memories are cyclical and. You know, certain things stick out and certain things don't. But I mean, it wasn't like you were a shrinking violet or nothing during those times. I mean, you were you were still yeah. doing stuff. I mean, Bewitched was happening at that same time. I was time, still right? doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, Bewitched, which started off as kind of a side project, experimental thing, turned into a real band, and we actually went on tour, opening for Sonic Youth along with Julie's band, STP. All right. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, on their on the tour where they were, you know, supporting Goo when they were first on Geffen. And we did the uh, East Coast. And um, and then uh, we got kicked off the tour for the rest of the tour because uh, they wanted this, I don't know, some unknown band called Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got bounced for Nirvana. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and I was, you know, playing with the action swingers which was kind of crazy oh, right. and uh and then so you know after that it was the you know earliest 90s still maybe 1990 it was 90 i joined the chrome cranks in 94 and they they were uh you know they started in cincinnati actually their very first show <coughs> was opening for pussy galore in cincinnati oh and okay Aaron. Peter Aaron, the the singer, he was the guy that booked all the the bands at the time in Cincinnati. So then a couple of years later, him and William Weber show up in Manhattan, and they get the Chrome Cranks going in Manhattan with two other drummers for a while, and then they got they enlisted you know Jerry Teal from the Honeymoon Killers, mm. and so so Peter was kind of you know they were kind of stalking me. To join and I was, you know, hesitant at first because I don't know. It was just kind of like they kind of not in retrospect at the time. I thought they were kind of in the vein of Pussy Galore, you know. And uh, like here's a band showing up in the '90s with the black hair and the tight pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and, hard to hard to miss the comparison to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. So, um. But when I started, you know, and, and I, I kind of made a deal with them. I needed someone to back me up for a Bewitched split single. And they asked me to do a CMJ show. <clears throat> and, I, you know, what sold me on the band was uh, the Funhouse Studios that Joe, Jerry ran that he had, you know, in his apartment building, which is a great, you know, rehearsal slash recording studio. And, you know, it was kind of home away from home. So, yeah, you know, and so the Chrome Cranks, yeah, we went on and we went to Europe a bunch of times. We made a whole shitload of records and and then that fell apart in 98. And after that, I was jamming with Jerry and my friend Jack Martin, whose birthday is today. Happy 
Hey, Jack. Um, uh, we were jamming and laying down some stuff in Funhouse, and Kid Congo happened to move into Jerry's apartment for a bit, and uh, we got him. You know, we were all friends with him as he was in New York at the time, so we got him to come down and play. And then uh, Larry Hardy of In the Red Records, right off the bat, without even hearing a note before we even had a name for the band, said he would put out an album, and that's how you know the Knoxville Girls were, were formed. <laughs> <Wow>. Nice, <laughs> nice. And so, and then you know, so we made two albums for In the Red, and we went on tour. We did a tour opening for Davy Allen and the Arrows. We did a tour opening for the. White Stripes, who were just getting off the ground. and Back when they were in sympathy you know, for the record what, industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we, we went to Europe. And then we had a, like a garage rock festival booked in Las Vegas. And then we were supposed to tour the West Coast. But our plane tickets were like, you know, a week after 9-11 happened. Ooh. And so... Uh, no one yeah. wanted to get on a plane, and then soon after that, Jerry moved to New Orleans. So that was the end of the Knoxville Girls and the end of the 90s. And, uh, you know, so then, and uh, it's funny because I was just writing about this today because I was still working on my book a little bit. Both the Chrome Cranks and the Knoxville Girls, unbeknownst to the fact that they were about to break up both of their last shows were opening for Dead Moon. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah. I was calling it the Dead Moon Curse for a while. <laughs> oh, man. And then talk, like, what, yeah, one of the most longest-lived bands ever, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, you, Fred. It was great to actually, you know, Chrome Crank <clears throat> toured with them in Europe, and they, that, was, that was a great experience. So I guess, um, and Bob, it's been, it's been great talking to you. Thanks, thanks so much for for doing this. It's uh, it's I'm glad we were able to work it out. And all right, cool. With with, yeah. all, with, with all your world travel, and the thing we always or, or try to always ask folks, especially folks that have been doing it for a while, is a pretty simple question. You know, why do you do what you do? Uh, because because I enjoy it. <laughs> once I started, once I started playing the drums, I. Just, never stop I, I just i love doing it and I, I consider myself very fortunate that i made the right decisions of, of people to hook up with and bands to meet and I, I i you know i put some of that to the fact that i was always <clears throat> i'm not like a music fanatic like a lot of people i know with like twenty thousand records or anything like that but i knew what was going on and i was always roaming the streets i mean i knew about sonic youth before they were even put out their record and you know, so, you know, I was just, I, I was given the right opportunities and I made the right choices, you know, you know, and not even, you know, when you think about it, it's not like I'm this big, rich rock star. It's like somebody like Smashing Pumpkins makes more money in two seconds than I've made in my whole career. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but, uh, but then the punishment is in your Smashing Pumpkins, though. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> deal with that asshole. Oh, boy. <laughs> Billy Corgan coming up next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the phone's ringing. The phone's ringing. <laughs> no, but it, it's—I mean—and you touched on it a few times too that it, it's sometimes difficult for people to understand that you—you you, you never really stopped. You kind of kept with it, 
at to some degree, maybe right. at a smaller level, but you never really stop right. the entire time. No, I, I haven't. And even after the nineties, you know, I was in a bunch of bands that didn't get off the ground and I didn't tour for a good 15 years, but I was also <clears throat> dealing with my wife who was, you know, slowly dying. And so that, you know, that was a, a very miserable time for a while. And then, uh, she passed away in 2012. And then not long after that, I got the call from Lydia and things have been great. You know, and here I am, you know, in, in a senior citizen and I'm still, Still know, rocking, touring, touring, touring the world. You know, you got to hanging got, out with the Melvins. I was gonna say you, you got a more aggressive uh, 2019 tour schedule than either of us. That's for damn Five sure. Good long shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, more, more than I've ever even had. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bob, uh, long may you run, and uh, thanks so much for talking to us, man. It's, it's oh, it's thank you, man. I really appreciate so it. So what is this? Is this a radio show, a podcast? <laughs> yes. The answer to that this is both. No, you're actually just talking to us on the phone. We're just some guys. <laughs> yeah, well, it wouldn't surprise me. No, <laughs> um, it's, it's internet radio, and then it ends up a podcast later. So you can you can you okay. can tell everybody about it when it when it's up. So if they so you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna give me a link. I will. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. All right, man. I appreciate the interest. <laughs> Not that I'm going to listen to it. Uh, All right. Thank you so much for caring. And uh, yeah, thank. That was, that was fun. Th- thanks so much, Bob. Talk to you Bob. later. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Yeah, there he goes, Mr. Bob Burt. Let's uh, let's hear a song. Uh, what, okay. what should we listen to? What should, I should I should <laughs> could figure this out before we. Before Wait, we uh, which Wait. where are you going here? I was gonna do something else. A Bad Moon Rising. Uh, oh, that's what I was gonna do. I was gonna do goddamn Death Valley '69. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Again, hello. I only had like 15 <laughs> minutes to like prepare for this. Uh, yeah, you know, this, this is why uh, we need an intern. <laughs> that's what I say. Uh, anyway, this is uh, Mr. Bob Burt with Sonic Youth. Little Death Valley 69 coming at you. Radio No Proton Controversial extended intro, baby. That's right. With that VHS hiss. Sounded good. See, it's authentic. It's authentic VHS hiss. It's very important. (laughs) It's very important to uh, get get the uh, get the authentic. That's right. VHS. Anyway, Death Valley 69. Here we go.
we go. That was um, NYC1989, Little Pussy Galore for you. And yeah. uh, for that, we had Death Valley 69. <laughs> by Sonic Youth with Lydia Lunch. Video featuring Lung Lig. I'd forgotten all about that. Oh, yeah. As well. Yeah, there, getting uh, some Lydia Lunch in there. Yes. Trying to cover all the bases. Covering all the bases here. So we got three out of 10 or 12. <laughs> well, guess we, no, no home cranks. No, uh, we, no we action swingers. No, no action, Axel girls. Exactly. Yeah, well. He's a busy man to this day. That's what you get with uh, protonic reversal. Thank you for listening. (laughs) That was a long long way to go. (laughs) The other thing all queued up. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just do that. I had to push like five buttons to get to it. I could have just said it. All this technology, man. (laughs) Watch out. It's going to be the death of me. I swear to you. (laughs) I swear. Uh, Yeah, so he's got a Mr. Bob Burt. He's got a a book coming out. Man, that record, a new record with uh, Nick King. Collins and Kid Congo. Yeah, that's, that's a that's, that's a, that sounds like to hear that sounds like there's going to be some rocking. Yeah, man, wow. <laughs> I'm going to let them use that title if they want. That sounds like there's going to be some rocking. <laughs> sounds like there's going to be some rocking. <laughs> think there might be some rocking. Think there might be some rocking occurring. <laughs> Could you locate my rocking? Where would the rocking be in a hurry? I'm not a cop. Not a cop. Uh, All right, so we are not cops here. We are just the home of the one. (laughs) The only. Photonic reversal. (laughs) The level of effort I go for this show, I tell you. People only know. People only know. They still wouldn't care. No, no. That's all right. This show is called Conan Neutron's Photonic Reversal. Airs Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific. I'm the one and only Radio Nope. <laughs> Say yes to them. Say yes to Nope. RadioNutron.com for the archives. Signing off. Live Mr. listeners, we got he's Goff coming up. Theme is rain, I believe. Anyone okay. within the sound of my voice? Good. Thank you. I, was gonna say, I, I looked at it and forgot. It's, it's, I'm still jet lagged if I didn't mention it. Craig Wedger and Sure to think next week. Hell yes. It should be good. Lots of questions. Any questions? They all will be answered immediately. Ionize the air. Or not. Yes. I said all that stuff. So, thanks for listening. Anything else, Josh? Nope. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Check you later. (laughs) That is good. Yes. Can you hear me now? (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. It's good. Dark and lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Got my radio on. Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Emergency! 